amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hi, Jerry. Welcome to Conversations with Creative Vagabonds, Thinkers, and Innovators. This is the place where great minds come to chat, and I am your host, Sandra Lee Schubert, and welcome to the show. Well, hello, everyone. I am indeed your host, Sandra Lee Schubert, and I am happy to be on the show with you today and happy to have my guest, Jean Dolgoff, on with me. Uh, Jean is Two an, innovator, an, an, an innovator, inventor, and entrepreneur who has successfully Until turned into reality. Jean will tell us how he does it, plus how you can get your ideas funded, get patents, and make your dreams a reality. So, Gene, thank you for being on the show with me today. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. And uh, as usual with Blog Talk, we always have little strange glitches because it's saying that the show is going live, even though the show is live. So, if you hear some strange noise, it's it's nothing. It's just it's just the strangeness of live radio, as always. So, Gene, I I wanted you on. I've known you for a long time. And um, I know you've done all these kind of wonderful, incredible, marvelous things in in your lifetime and probably many more things than than any of us ever want to do. Until showtime. I'm kind of thrilled to have you here with me. Now, you are an, an inventor, and what... Can you, let's talk a little bit about what that means to be an inventor. Well, everyone is really an inventor. Uh, everybody comes up with an idea from time to time, and they say, oh, i got an idea. Wouldn't it be great if so-and-so, or, or I see a problem here, and I, I have a great idea of how to fix that problem, or I have an idea for a great product. It just all kinds of ideas occur to people all the time, but the problem is, Nobody knows what to do with it then. What's next after you get the idea? And um, hopefully we can give some advice and tips on this show so that people can go further than just saying, wouldn't it be a great idea if something? Right. No, that that would be, I I think that that's really kind of wonderful because I think so many of us go around saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'd like to do that, or I've got a great idea to, for a product or something, or I'd like to invent that. But people are always stuck a little about how that happens, and we're going to cover that in the course of the show. We've got an hour, so we've got a lot of time to sort of hash out all this uh, information. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you have invented or created in your lifetime so we have an idea of what you've done? Wow. Well, um, I'm an inventor, <laughs> I, so that. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say it is. It is wow. It is a wow thing. Just, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, since I'm an inventor, that's what I do. So it's not that uh, I just got an idea once or once in a while, and and that's apart from my everyday life. In my case, that is my everyday life. I've been an inventor since, I guess I was about three years old. Just, it's in my blood. It just comes naturally to me. So I invent things about every day. Uh, And most, since I invent so many things, 
most of them never go anywhere. I mean, you can't take that many things somewhere. So it's a matter of uh, which ones did I get really excited and passionate about and do something about it and follow it up. So I can give you some of these things. Uh, for instance, um, the holograms that you see on credit cards, Visa card, MasterCard, uh, in the lower right-hand corner, it's a little silver square sort of rectangle, and uh, there's a hologram there. That was put there as a security device to try to uh, cut down on the number of counterfeit credit cards that were made. And uh, holograms were a brand new thing and, and very... Uh, poorly known and so nobody knew how to make it so they thought wow this this would be a way to stop counterfeiting put this on the credit card but nobody knew how to do it and uh, I was involved with holography since its beginning in 1964 and one of the things I invented was a way to print a hologram to transfer it onto a surface like a credit card so uh, I I came up with that and uh, in the uh, late 60s and uh, perfected it by uh, 1980. And uh, that is what is used on credit cards, and it's used on many other products uh, as an anti-counterfeiting measure. If you if you buy a software disc, very often you'll see holograms right there on the packaging, and sometimes clothes and lots of things. So that's one of the things I invented, is the process for printing holograms on another surface. Okay. Um, the the uh, the biggest thing in terms of financial return that I invented was the digital projector. Um, I invented the, the world's first LCD projector in uh, 1971 or so, but uh, didn't perfect it until uh, late '83. And um, then in 88, I started a company with that invention and got funding there, and uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, that became a very big product. That's used in all movie theaters today. It's used in businesses and schools and hospitals and, and in homes to project video. You, know, you can hook it up to your computer and project a video. You can project movies, television, mm -hmm. So that's a very uh, well-known invention, and that's the, the biggest one that I've done. But um, I've done many others that are smaller or not far enough along, like a system that converts two-dimensional videos into 3D automatically and also converts any TV into 3D. So if you have a regular TV, it makes it a 3D TV. Uh, I invented a new system to transmit 3D over uh, broadcasting networks, and I actually used it on a nationally broadcast TV show, the Rachel Ray Show. And uh, it required special glasses, which I invented, and we distributed two and a half million pairs of those glasses through TV Guide. So that was another invention. Um, and uh, the most important invention that I'm working on right now is a medical treatment, mainly for cancer, but it also has other applications. So we'll talk about that later as well. But that's just a summary of the, the most significant inventions that I've worked on. Right. So I, I think what's really fascinating about this, so when I sat in the room watching the live stream of uh, the Grateful Dead's last concert, and it was, projected, it was put through a projector, that probably was something that you invented. Onto oh yeah, screen. all all projectors are based on what I invented. Yeah, so 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 that that's really amazing. But I guess you know we're I know we're gonna we're just gonna cover some more of this. But you know when you say I you know I perfected that process or I I had that process. So when you were looking at something like a holograph and you were part of this process in the beginning. And you've got, you know, however this comes into being, what I, what I, I'm trying to grasp is how do you sort of get that from your head to something that's 
on that's real that's then on credit cards. I mean, I have a bus pass that I use in New Jersey that has a holograph across it, which is probably part of what you've created. Same so process. Yeah. It, it's that idea of like, where? how do you come up with that? I guess. I mean, you know, yeah. what is the mental process that happens for you that you say, oh, I've got a holograph. You know, how do we get a holograph from this idea onto a, a card? Right. And I, you know, I, I'd like to know some of the maybe the science or the technique behind that a little bit because to me, sure, I, sure. That, I've never encountered that for myself. Well, so first of all, that. it's called a hologram, not a, co- not a holograph. Okay, sorry. It's holography and it's holographic, but the item itself is a hologram. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I was <laughs> I was interested in reproducing reality uh, as a three-year-old, and uh, I looked at everything and I said, "Wow, this is amazing! Look at this stuff all around me. How did they do this?" And uh, naively, and I said, "I want to do this." So that sort of set the uh, the main passion in my life was to try to figure out how to recreate the experience of reality. And uh, part of what I learned in my, my pursuit of that was uh, we are perceiving things in 3D. And so how do you record and play back images in 3D? So that was part of it. And I was studying many different methods that others had come up with and started playing with them myself and experimenting with them and uh, got involved with a guy who was a pioneer in one of the types of 3D called lenticular. And this is a guy named Victor Anderson. And I started working with him uh, in the 60s. And uh, then I got involved with some other pioneers uh, who made 3D glasses for movies because there were movies in the 60s in 3D. Uh, this was Alvin and Mortimer Marks, and I worked with them. And I got very familiar with these different 3D techniques. And uh, then when holography was invented and the first holograms were made in 1963, I contacted the uh, the guys who did that at the University of Michigan, and I said, tell me how it works. And they sent me technical papers, and they talked with me over the phone, and I learned how it worked. And uh, I set up my own holography laboratory in the basement of my apartment building in 1964 and started experimenting and making my own holograms. So it's, you know, it's a step-by-step process as you pursue your passion, if you're passionate about something. And uh, eventually, um, there was a lot of press saying, oh, holography is so amazing, it's going to do so many things. And yet it never took off. It never did anything in the marketplace. And I wrote this article that was in one of the magazines in the optical field called Commercial Holography, Where Are You? And I talked about all the many things that could be done, and yet there's no mass market for it. And I realized at that point that the reason is it's very complicated and it's very expensive. So that's not a mass marketable product. And that's one of the keys, by the way. If you have an idea and you want to go somewhere with it and make some money with it, you have to see how can this become a mass marketable product that's not too expensive, that uh, the market would be interested in and would be willing to pay enough money for that product so that you could make a a profit on it. So that's an important thing to think about when you get an idea. Many people get an idea and say, oh, I have this great idea of a toilet that would be floating above my house you know i mean it's creative and interesting but it has to be practical also it has to be something that uh people would really pay for so i said okay there's got to be a way to make these holograms mass producible and uh, i just started studying any very everything i could and thinking about what has to be done and uh in particular with holograms it had to be um, a, a very fine, detailed pattern. That's what's on a hologram. And that that pattern will take light and send it in different directions. That pattern had to be uh, present in every hologram. So instead of the complicated photographic process with chemicals and all that, I said, well, maybe we can just 
record this and print it like you do a printed page. And so I started studying how conventional printing works and what different uh, techniques there were, how much resolution each one had. And uh, eventually I came to see that there was one technique that might be able to do this. Uh, it was a hot stamping technique uh, where they transfer thin metal foil to something. And, and often that was used, uh, and still is, on uh, little pocketbooks. Uh, not not the kind you put your purse in, but I mean a small book that you buy in a bookstore, uh, like little romance novels or uh, stories like that. And, and sometimes they put a little area of silver or gold on the cover and that's put there by this hot stamping technique so i thought okay this this technique when i studied it really looks like it has the resolution that could reproduce the pattern needed for a hologram so i studied it and then i did it in my house in my lab and played with it and eventually i got it to work so that's the process I went through to get this thing to work. It was a matter of asking questions, studying, doing tests and experiments until you reach your goal. Right. Now, Does that so, answer uh, that? Somewhat, somewhat. But uh, so a hologrammer is um, a pattern. Is that that's what you're saying? And, and what you're trying to do is reproduce that pattern so it reflects light that will produce that that right. that that image. So and you, reproduce it fast and inexpensively. So your your process was looking at, at how to uh, take this from a larger whatever. And, and I, pardon me if I don't have the correct words for this, but you, so you have this expensive process that's not easily reproducible, and so right. you're looking to take that process and not reduce it, but make it. M- mass produce it in a way that it's accessible to a multitude of people so it's not so it doesn't become something that's only available to a few people but it's something that's available now to many people now can people recreate this on their own now i mean because i know we have 3d printers and that kind of thing so is that something people can well it's uh the answer is yes, it is it is possible for people to do, but it's still, uh, to make the original, the master hologram of anything, it's still this complicated, somewhat expensive process. Uh, but okay. once you have made a hologram of something, the, the that particular hologram can now be mass-produced quickly and inexpensively with my process. So now mm-hmm. it's a matter of, okay, how do I take that hologram, which is this complicated pattern that's very high resolution, and put it into this other process that's cheap and fast? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I came up with. And once you have that, now you just need a uh, a hot stamping machine, which actually you can make one. Uh, initially, I made one myself, and it was very inexpensive. So the the, the hard part is to make the master die that goes in the machine that has that pattern of lines, which is the hologram. That's that's an okay. expensive part. Okay. But and the mass production is inexpensive. Is inexpensive. So okay, so you're you're creating a sort of you know the old school uh, an original plate, and and that from right. what comes off of that is the the copies of that essentially. Exactly. That's that's what it okay. was. All right. That's well. That's interesting. So uh, do you? You have these ideas, and you and you look at them as as you have an idea, and you and you look at a way to make that idea into reality. It maybe three D reality, two D reality, whatever the process is. Uh, that and I don't, you know, I I I'm this is you know sort of all kind of you know I've never gone into the background of this, so it's kind of fun to sort of have have you here to sort of work this out with. I'm you're helping me work out my whatever's with this. So you 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 have you let's look at the holodeck because I always think yeah. it's fun because I, I love Star Trek and all versions. I'm a more of a Star Trek next generation person. But you know, you talk about the hol- holodeck. So right. how did you 
and, and, and maybe we can explain a little bit what the holodeck is, because I talked to somebody the other day, and they were like, Star Trek holodeck? I have no idea what you're talking about. So, oh, boy, wow. I I know. Okay. That's, what, that's what I know. I'm feeling old. But so you, how do you come up with an idea for a holodeck? I mean, what... What is the, the, like, I mean, what triggers that idea coming into being for right, you right. that you say, I'm going to create this thing called a holodeck and I'm going okay. to give it to Gene and he's going to, you know, it's well, going to show I, up. I understand. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how this happened. Um, by the way, your listeners don't know this, but I'm the one who came up with the holodeck that was used in Star Trek, just yeah. so you know what the context of the conversation is about. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> I, I was working with holography, and I was learning the theory of it and how it worked. And uh, it's an amazing thing, holography. It's much more than just re- reproducing 3D images. It has to do with light, but also other kinds of energy. And when energy meets energy, the, there's an interaction that takes place that that creates a pattern. And as I said before, the the hologram is a pattern, but this is actually the basis of everything in the universe. All things are a result of a pattern, a holographic type of pattern. It's called an interference pattern. And as I was studying this and and coming to understand it better, uh, it occurred to me that matter itself is made of, particles you know matter is made of molecules molecules are made of atoms atoms are made of subatomic particles electrons protons neutrons and those are made up of smaller subatomic particles called quarks and the question is well what are those made of and as i studied this i realized that the energy in the universe meeting other energy creates an interference pattern also and this pattern creates these particles. So the same science that is behind holograms that are used for holograms that make images is behind the production of matter. So I, I all, all of a sudden it occurred to me that there can be matter holograms. And uh, I was on a TV show in 1974, I think it was. It's, it's on the Internet. Uh, called Midday Live, and I was on with uh, Jerry Stiller, you know, from Seinfeld and and mm-hmm. from uh, 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 something in Queens, uh, King of Queens, and and his wife, uh, who just recently passed away, Ann Mira. And um, I was showing holograms and explaining how this also can lead to matter holograms, and the host asked me, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, for instance, if you have a matter hologram of a chair and you get an extra dinner guest and you don't have enough chairs, well, you just turn on that hologram, put some energy through it, and it makes another chair. So now you can have enough chairs. And then I said, but this goes further. You could actually use this to make anything. So let's say you want to make the food for the, for the dinner, you could make it by just putting energy through the hologram. You want an apple, you put the energy through, creates an apple, and now there's an apple there. And it has the same uh, properties of, a, of an apple you buy at the store. You can eat it. It has the same nutritional value and so on because it's just made up of subatomic particles which are made of the interference patterns of energy. So it, it, I realize that all matter can be made by interference and therefore by holograms. And then it occurred to me that, uh, well, this can be used not only to replicate things like food and so on, but it it could also be used to uh, transport a person from one place to another, and that's a transporter system. And and you could actually make your own environment. You could create uh, a play environment in, in a room, and instead of just watching a TV in your room, you can have a holographic system which makes it look like you're in a completely different place, like you can be on Mars or you can be uh, in another country or wherever you like just by holographically recreating all of that matter or the images that go along with that matter. And uh, then I was a big Star Trek fan. So in the 60s, I was watching the original Star Trek and they did have a transporter beam and a replicator on there. 
And I said, well, those actually will work using the matter hologram technology that I came up with. And then I said, also, there could be this room where the people on the starship could go and they could train. You know, there could be simulations of different uh, tactical things and military things. And there also could be recreational things because, you know, you're stuck in a starship for years. You need recreation. And so I came up with this idea of a holodeck, a holographic deck, and uh, didn't think I would be able to do anything with it until one day I met somebody who was friends with Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. And after I told her all the things I was doing in holography and showed her all these experiments and explained the holodeck and so on, she said, well, I know somebody who would like to hear this, Gene Roddenberry. So she set up a meeting for me with Gene Roddenberry and his wife. And I spent the day with them explaining the, how holography worked and showing them holograms. And I mean, I was so thrilled to be with him because I loved Star Trek. And I said, this, this Star Trek that you have now, you have to make new episodes and add holography into them. It's, it's going to be a very important part of the future. And if this show is about the future, it's, won't be realistic unless it includes holographic things like a holodeck and and 3D screens all around and th things like that. And this this was back in 73 that I met him. And uh, he, he liked it. So when he recreated Star Trek as Star Trek The Next Generation, he put this into the show. And so that's how that came about. Very good. Well, I, but thank you for that because I, I think that's it's, it's an... It's good to hear that process because so, so many times we see things and they, they're just in existence, but we, we, we never kind of know how that process happened and it comes out of somebody's head somewhere along the line and becomes reality. So we, when we have something like 3D printing where you're creating 3D, is that similar to the same process as what you're talking no. about or is that no, a different process all. okay it's a totally so different a... process yeah it, mm -hmm. it, it's basically the same process you use with a an inkjet printer when you're printing your mm -hmm. your pages of print it, and and it does use the same machine but instead of the regular ink it just uses uh material that's sort of like plastic and actually, it uses many different materials. And it just, you, you print a layer, but then you go back and you print another layer on top of that. And then you go back and print another layer on top of that. Oh, and you keep okay. doing that. Eventually, it turns into a big, solid thing. It's a 3D. Okay, so it's not, it's not energy like you're talking about. No, it's, no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not energy interference. It's not holographic, no. Okay, very no, good. That'll well, come well, later. Thank you. <laughs> That'll come later. We could do that later. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or you could, or you could do that later. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, um, I hope I can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is it is kind of fascinating how you know, as I said, this happens, and and you have these ideas, and basically what you're saying is part of this process, as from what I'm gathering, is is testing the process, testing the idea out. And, and, well, and here's, here, let me tell you what, what's for everybody listening at any time. Uh, if you ever have an idea mm -hmm. and you think it's a good idea, what do you do about it? Let me give you some concrete suggestions of what you do and how you could perhaps turn your idea into money. Because, you know, that's what everybody would like to do. Take their idea and make money with it. And uh, there is a small percentage of people that can do that. And one of the reasons it's so small is most people have no clue. What do you do? Where, where do you go? What, how do you turn an idea into reality? So let me give you some kind of recipe for that. Okay, that'd be excellent. Okay, first of all, um, you've got you've to make sure that your idea is something that people want. It's, uh, it's not only that you know people who who want this kind of thing and it's not only that you know you want this kind of thing but you also have to think about even if people don't want it or you don't want it at the moment might they want it if it existed you know so there are many things that right. nobody even thought about 
exa- that that could be done. But if they knew about it, they'd they'd run to get it. I mean, look at it, look at the iPhone. You know, the smartphones. Everybody has to have it. But before there was an iPhone, nobody thought, "Gee, I wish I had an iPhone." <laughs> you know, they nobody knew that the that that was possible, and they just didn't think about it. But there were people like Steve Jobs who who said, "Ah, I see this is possible. The technology has moved to the point where everything can be shrunk so small and you can put so much data in such a small place. So what could we do with that? Well, we could make a phone, we could put a camera, we could do this and and that." So he looked ahead and said, "This doesn't exist, but people would want it." So you have to look at your idea and say either does does there have, happen to be a market right now for it, or would there be one if they knew about it? So that's that's number one. It's very important. Second of all, if you have an idea, if you if you look at it this way, if you just have an idea, wouldn't it be great if there was this? That's not good enough to do anything with. You have to figure out how to do it. You have you can't say oh it would be. Great if if there was a uh, a new recipe that t- tasted like this. That's not going to help you. You have to have an idea of how to do it. So for those people that come up with an idea of how to do something, even if they don't know if it's right or if it'll work, that's a good starting place. Then you got to try to find out if it will work. So you'll have to uh, do some tests, do some experiments. Uh, search the internet and see if there's anybody else doing this kind of thing. This this is very important because if you've come up with something and somebody else has already beat you to it, it's unfortunate, but it's not something that you'll probably be able to pursue because they already are much further ahead. So that's real important. Search everywhere to see if somebody else is doing it all kinds of different keyword combinations into Google, for instance, and see if that exists. Now, if you don't see it there, then you got to talk about, does somebody else have a patent on this idea? And that's important. And the way you find that out is you go to the Patent Office website. And let me give you the the URL for that. It's uh, www.uspto. That's United States Patent Trademark Office, .gov, G-O-V. So you go there and you click on patents, and now you can search. There are two ways to search, and there are instructions there to explain to you how you search. But you put keywords in, and it searches the database of all U.S. patents, nine and a quarter million, however many there are now. It's about that many. And... uh, the better you define your keywords, the more exact the search will be to tell you if there is something like what you came up with. And if there isn't, then you're in good shape. So now the next step is uh, if you've done some tests and you've shown it works, you now have to write it up like a recipe. You have to write up the steps. You have to write up the parts that are needed and as much as you can figure out, the best you can do with it. Now, once you've written that up and uh, it's clear to you, now you've got to get other people involved. And this is the tricky part, because if you have an idea and you tell other people about it, you lose your right to patent it. And that's, that's part of the patent law. Uh, if you do talk to someone about it, it's considered legally considered a public disclosure, even though you're telling one person. That's considered a public disclosure. Oh. And the law says if your invention has been disclosed publicly, it's not eligible for patenting. So what do you do? Well, you use an agreement called a non-disclosure agreement, or NDA. And there's lots of NDAs. Um, I have a form that I use all the time. But you can go on uh, the Internet and find many different forms of NDAs. And basically it says that you're telling them something confidential and they agree not to tell anybody and not to use it. And uh, it doesn't matter that much how good the agreement is and how well written it is because 
they really don't protect you. They don't prevent people from taking your idea and telling somebody else or using it themselves. Unfortunately, that's the nature of people. You know, you tell somebody something, they're going to tell somebody else. So that's not the point. That's not the reason that you sign an NDA with people. It's just to maintain your patent rights, your ability to file a patent. So you always so have to could, have... People could blab away about, about it, but once they've signed something, it's not considered a public disclosure anymore? Well, it family. is, but it's not public disclosure that you made public. So okay. uh, you are still allowed to file for a patent on it. Now, if they blab about it and it can be shown that a lot of people know about this, well, then that could also kill your chances of patenting it. So you've got to do your best to talk to people you trust. You know, start with friends and family, and you've you got to ask them, bounce it off of them. What do you think? Do you think this would be a viable product? Do you think people would buy it? How much do you think they, people would pay for this? And then through your research, you've got to see how much might it cost to make this thing, now that you've already figured out pretty much how to do it, or somewhat how to do it. Try to get an idea of how much it would cost to make it. And uh, now, of course, you've got to figure, add to that, the, it's, it's got to be mass-produced, it's got to be marketed, you've got to do advertising, you have to set up a little organization to be able to fulfill the orders. Uh, so all of that has to be figured into the cost of making the product. And then the question is, okay, if the product's going to cost X, will the public pay for it with X plus something else? And hopefully you can make uh, 25 to 50% profit on whatever it is. And if so, then you got something that could be a winner. If, unfortunately, you find out that uh, nobody's going to pay that much for it, well, then you got a problem. It might not be worth pursuing. <laughs> So that's well, how, how, that sounds, so this whole pro, this this just what you've said so far how about how long might that take in terms of time well it's, depend, it's, it's different for everybody product. Right. yeah it's it's different for everybody and different for every product i mean some mm -hmm. people think of something it's simple enough that they can figure it out in a few days and they can do some research on it in a few days and in a couple of weeks they've done it all but or at least on all the things I just listed. But um, very often it takes months, sometimes years, and people do work on ideas for years. So, I mean, this, this is normal. It's not, it's not unusual. But then you have to go further. Now, you have to file a patent on it. And mm -hmm. to, to file a patent, well, you certainly can go to the USPTO website that I told you about, and there are instructions there that you can read to tell you how to follow, how to write this patent, and, and how to, to follow the, the laws and the rules. But I tell you, it, it is, I've done it, and it is very hard to do. I mean, I, I've done it, I've, I've got lots of patents, but when I went to do it myself, it was hard to do. But people do it, I mean, you could do it. You could follow those rules and write your own patent and file it, and it won't cost you that much. Uh, I don't remember now, it's a hundred bucks or a couple of hundred bucks. But the chances of it being a good patent are low because it is so complicated. And today, there are so many changes in the patent law that nobody, even the best patent lawyers, know exactly what to do anymore. And that's, that's the real scary, crummy thing. And I've got to tell you about this. US, the U.S. is is the biggest innovator in the world. We we have invented the most important, uh, most amazing things throughout history, and we were the lead innovator. But that is going away, and part of the reason that that's declining and may eventually disappear is because most great inventions are made by individuals that come up with a great idea and uh, pursue it. They're passionate about it, and it goes somewhere. Uh, but the reason they're able to do that is because the patent system protected them. The patent system gives you, a, the inventor, a monopoly on your invention for 20 years minus how long it takes for the patent office to grant the patent. So you, you file a patent today, 
it may take two, three years for the patent office to grant the patent. But after that, the remaining time, if it's three years to get it granted, the remaining 17 years is yours. You own it. And that means you can manufacture the patent and other people can't, theoretically. But in reality, the laws have changed, especially in the last few years. So it's really difficult to pursue a patent, uh, a patented invention because if you find other people doing just what you're doing, making your product, you you theoretically can sue them. First you ask them, would you take a license to my product? You're, you're manufacturing a product that's covered by my patent. Used to be you could go to them and say, please take a license. Nowadays you can't even do that because if you go to a company and say, I have a patent, please take a license, they are now allowed to sue you because of, of some court cases. And uh, this this suit goes against you and now they can select what court it's in and they can ask the judge to decide that your patent is invalid even though the judge didn't read your patent and doesn't understand science i mean this is this is something that happens a lot now so it's very difficult to go to a company and say would you like to take a patent uh, a license on my patent but you it, it's still done uh and sometimes it works out uh but the other road to follow is suing them for infringing your patent. And that turns out to be a very tough thing to do. It's extremely expensive. And uh, what you have to do nowadays is find an investor who will put the money in to conduct the lawsuit. If you do that, then you can do it. Because okay. the investor sees, wow, this is a great patent, this is a great product, and here's a very big company that's stealing it and making a fortune from it. That could be a great big win. So, okay, I'll invest. And there are companies and people nowadays that put up the money for lawsuits against patent infringers. So that's that's the way to go nowadays. Um, and you can maybe make a product and get an investor to invest in your company. You start a company and get the product manufactured and out there yourself. And if so, you can start making a lot of money from your own product. So that's another direction you could go in. Now, if you if you want to go the patent route and you want to do it well, you need to find a good patent law firm. And I have one who I, I think he's the greatest. I've used him now for 47 years. Uh, that's, yeah. that's a long time. That's a long time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> They keep up with the latest changes in the law and so on. So his name is Jerry Elman, E-L-M-A-N. So if anybody wants to contact Jerry's firm, uh, they just have to go to uh, Elman, E-L-M-A-N, dot com. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, they can get in touch with Jerry that way. Uh, that's that's an important thing to do. You can just go to a lawyer, and if you can get together the money to pay the lawyer to help you write a good patent and file it, then you're in a strong position compared to if you do it yourself. Once you get that filed, you wait the two, three years till it's granted, then you're in a strong position to go make the product, get an investor to help you to, to afford to make the product, and to sell the product, or to go and license it to other companies. Okay. That's, those are the routes that you can take. And and you okay. also can go outside of the U.S. Not you don't have to do it in the U.S. You know you can sell it through companies in other countries mm -hmm. as well. Right. So it's it, the the process. I mean, this is certainly not a necessarily a simple process, and it it doesn't and it requires um, if you want to do a patent pro, patented product, I guess then we're talking about a few years out some some money and some investment investing and and making sure that you're covered legally because of how it's set up now you don't want to lose your product from what right. i'm gathering from and i, I yeah. it's very daunting i mean a lot of people once they get an idea will look at this process ahead of them and they'll say well mm -hmm. i don't have the stomach for it you know but then there are those people who are passionate about what they came up with. And when you're passionate, you also are blind. 
<laughs> you don't realize how hard it is, and, and you just say, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And let me tell you, most success stories are based on people like that. You know, just Steve Jobs is one of them. Bill Gates another one. And there's just lots and lots of companies that started with someone who had an idea and was passionate about it and mm-hmm. said, I'm going to go forward with this. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And if you're that person, pursue it. By the way, elman.com is E-L-M-A-N.com for the, the patent lawyer. Uh, if you want, I can, I, can, <laughs> I can tell you what I went through to get funding for my digital projector invention. Okay. Well, let me do, well, let's just do a little time check. We've got about a little under 15 minutes, and I do want to talk about your cancer development program. So, right. you know, it, so let's make sure we, we get, all the, all get that in, too, because I know that's a new pro, pro, uh, project on the horizon for you. But, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That would be interesting how you got funding for that also. Okay. Um, I had the idea that um, TVs back in the 60s were small, and I thought, well, the, we have slide projectors and movie projectors that make big pictures, so there should be a way to make a TV that's projected the same way. And so I did a lot of experiments and eventually figured out how to do it and eventually made a prototype of it. And then I took the prototype and I showed it to everybody I could show it to, everybody I met. And uh, everybody said, oh, that's great. And nobody said, here's some money. So I actually showed it around to everybody for four years. And so that's the kind of craziness you have to go through and you have to have passion to, to push you through that. But after four years, I met somebody who saw it and he said, this is great and I, I can get you funding. Said, My friend is going to help us. So he introduced me to his friend who was a really uh, big shot on, in one of the financial funds and he saw this thing, this prototype, and he said, this is going to change the world. He said, oh, I'm, I'm in. He took his checkbook out of his pocket he wrote me a $100,000 check, gave it to me, and he said, give me some stock, I'm in. So that's how I got started. And okay. uh, I didn't even have a, a contract or an agreement with him, but he trusted his friend who who joined me as a partner in my company, which I started. And uh, as soon as we got his $100,000 in, I was able to go to a, a stock brokerage firm, and they put a bunch of investors together and raised another $900,000. And uh, now we had a million dollars. And then the government uh, had a program uh, where they were giving money for any company that could develop different uh, kind of products. This is called DARPA, D-A-R-P-A. It's a part of the uh, Defense Department. And I got a million dollars from them. And then uh, we went public on NASDAQ, on the stock market. And altogether, we raised $20 million. So mm-hmm. it was a, an amazing process. It was not real easy, but it was the kind of thing you can do if you persevere. You have the passion, and you just don't give up. Right. So in summary, that's what happened there. <laughs> that, that's excellent. So before we go into your, your uh, the cancer pr- treatment development program. Um, so what I'm kind of hearing from you in terms of people with an idea is having an idea, um, testing that idea out in whatever form it is. I mean, it could be a patented product. It could be any kind of a book idea, whatever that product, whatever that is, testing that idea out to see the, the applications for it in the world, seeing that there's an audience for it, and seeing who else is out there doing it. So, I mean, in terms of books or ideas, there may be some ideas that run along the same line, but you you may have a different take on that. And then with some, if you're really passionate and want to make that product into a reality, there is a process through the patent um, patent office or or that takes some time, but you can you could follow through and then you could you have a product. So I'm sort of saying everything you said in in, in 30 seconds, but it's really being able to take those ideas, look at it and, and work with it and just, and see where it might go and then just testing it out. I think that's sort of the important part is seeing 
other applications for that because you may have an idea that transforms over time if you just work with it a little bit from what I'm hearing you say. Right, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so hopefully that, that will be helpful to people who have ideas. And, yeah, you know, if they want to contact you, if they have questions, maybe you can get them to me and we can answer their questions. Absolutely. We can do that. Okay. But, so I'll so tell you about the cancer thing. Okay. Um, and we this have about was, 10 minutes, so you just right. so you know. I, I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> just check. <laughs> this was something that, based on an idea I had a long time ago. Uh, I saw a demonstration in 1969 of something, and it was an amazing thing I saw. It was a a process uh, called uh, hysteresis heating, uh, electromagnetic uh, fields being oscillated back and forth, and that caused metals to heat up and melt. And it, and they melted metal right before my eyes just by this electromagnet that kept being switched back and forth. So I was impressed with this. And I was thinking about it, about different applications, and it occurred to me that maybe this could be used to heat up tumors and kill them in in the body. Uh, and uh, I, I was studying that for a few years, and, and by 1973, uh, I learned about uh, something called monoclonal antibodies. And these are these are cloned antibodies that come from people. So whenever you have a foreign body in your in your body, like a bacteria or a virus or uh, any foreign object, your immune system immediately creates an, an antigen, uh, an antibody to that antigen. And normally, these antibodies stay with you. And so now, if that ever comes again, your your body is ready to attack. And uh, if you have uh, measles, for instance, you develop antibodies for it. And now, later in life, you're exposed to someone with measles, you won't get it, or, or chickenpox, or whatever. These antibodies uh, can be cloned. And once they're cloned, you can, you can make billions of them. And what's special about these antibodies is that they go seek out that particular thing that they that created them in the first place, like the the virus uh, of chickenpox or or whatever. Well, it turns out that tumors are are foreign. Tumor cells are foreign also because they're not normal, and so your body makes antibodies for that as well. And so that's been cloned, and therefore there are these uh, what are called monoclonal antibodies that seek out tumor cells of a particular type and they've done it for all the different cancer types so you can you can have these cells that seek out lung tumors or brain tumors or uh, pancreatic tumor any kind of tumor cell so all of this hit me and I said okay what we could do is combine this and uh, make a concoction that would go into the body and would attach itself to tumor cells and then we could use the external electromagnetic field to heat up these particles. And since they're attached to the tumor cells, they'll heat up the tumor cells and kill them, whereas all the regular healthy cells in your body won't be affected because they won't be attached to these antibodies. And uh, so here's a way that we could kill cancer without side effects. So now it took years to get anybody to listen. <laughs> I kept talking to doctors about it, and they would all say, oh, yeah, sounds like a great idea, and then nothing else would happen. It was like when I showed my LCD projector for four years to everybody, and they say, oh, it's great, and they didn't do anything about it. So the same with this. Eventually, I showed it to somebody who happens to be the head of research at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and uh, he said, oh, yeah, absolutely, this is right. I've seen a lot of work in the field that this this uh, is related to and this would work and so he said I'm going to partner with you let's develop this so I started working with him uh, last summer and uh, so we are working on uh, this process now let me tell you that there are many different components many different steps some of them have already been tested uh, animals have been used uh, that had cancer and it killed their cancers and it didn't hurt the animals so that's very encouraging and uh, there's a lot more to be done a lot more testing and uh, 
that's going to take money. Uh, we have a program that we've put together, and people can go to the Internet and, and see a little video about this. Okay. Um, you can put that on your site, but basically, it, I'll tell it to you now, it's www.vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, dot com forward slash Dolgoff Labs, D-O-L-G-O-F-F-L-A-B-S, forward slash cancer. So that's the URL. Go to that. You'll see a video about our program. And uh, essentially, we have a five-year program that we've laid out, which uh, will get us to the point where we are using this on human beings and we will have FDA approval so this can be made available to everybody in hospitals and clinics and doctor's offices uh, throughout the U.S. and the world. That's our plan. It's a five-year plan. And what we need to do now is raise the additional money. We created a company called Genothermics. And uh, so we're looking for investors that understand the first of all the importance because cancer kills 20,000 people every day I mean it's and it's getting worse so I mean it's believe it or not one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime it's yes. it's a, it's a really horrible nightmare and uh, cancer is uh, creates a lot of suffering and it kills more and more people all the time and this is especially horrible because now we know that we could eliminate this problem. That wow. This is a treatment that could be used for everybody and uh, no side effects. So you don't, you know, have the terrible effects like you have with chemotherapy today and radiation. Radiation. So you can, because those, those usually kill all the good cells along with. Yeah. With so the, the patient cells. is cured of cancer and they die, you know, but yeah. actually it does, it doesn't cure you because it only cures you temporarily because all you need is one cell that didn't get killed by the chemo or the radiation and it goes through the body and and starts multiplying somewhere else and this is called metastasis where it metastasizes to another part of the body and that's really what kills everybody because now you can't go and give them more chemo or more radiation because their body's already been damaged from the first round and uh, that's why the mortality rate is so high so with this process you don't have those drawbacks so that's what we're hoping to develop uh, right. And get finished over the five years that are coming. Well, that sounds like, sounds like a wonderful program and certainly something that's well needed. And I think, you know, going along with this this theme of ideas, it, it just kind of goes to show you that you, any you can any thought or any inspiration can can lead you to something that's really positive and right. And let me tell you something about along those lines. As we were working on it we realized that this can be used for other things. Here we're developing this process to to eliminate cancer, and then we realize, well, wait a minute, there's so many other things, because here is a technique to go inside the body and selectively destroy cells that we want to destroy. Well, how about, for instance, the plaques that form in the brain in Alzheimer's patients? We could go and target those and kill the, destroy those plaques before they keep multiplying. And and so reduce the the Alzheimer's and re, and and slow down its progression or maybe even stop it. And there's so many mm-hmm. other diseases that that can be attacked with this process. And we've just learned that as we're moving forward. So you never know where it leads. Well, you heard everybody. You heard it here. Heard it here first, sort of. So keep that in mind. Five years down the road, when when cancer is being cured all over the place, hopefully that that will just be excellent. So we have just about a, a, a minute or so to go. I know you, we just talked about the Vimeo uh, site, but where else can people go to find you and, and, and learn more about your work? Well, there's just so much uh, on the Internet. All you got to do is put my name, Gene Dolgoff, into Google, and you'll find <laughs> lots and lots of links and Google lots of them. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> just, just watch because Star Trek you know, and that, that'll be it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I have a LinkedIn profile. You can go to LinkedIn and look at that. And okay. but there's just there's lots and lots of stuff there. So in summary, that's the that's the way. That's the way to do it. And we and just for our listeners, we do have. Uh, I do have his uh, Gene's links on my the Blog Talk Radio page on Facebook and uh, other places. So you can certainly uh, 
uh, find his links there, and you can also everybody can just contact me if they need to contact Ian for more information. Also, so I, I, I think this has been really kind of an informative process uh, conversation. I, I love just the process part of it and seeing where ideas sort of have their you know come into reality. And I and I hope that we've given the listeners something to, to take home with and, and play with. And I, I, again, we've been talking to Gene Dolgoff and Gene, I, I'm just really happy that you've come on the show and just shared a little bit of your wisdom. Cause I know you've got so much more to offer us, but I think this is really something that people can, um, can, can enjoy and, and go out and create some reality with their ideas. I think it's great. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. And, uh, whoever's listening, Go pursue your passion. Excellent. Well, thank you, Gene, and thank you to our listeners. And uh, we are signing off. Thank you. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.